It absolutely separates it from uh, the women who could only get in this far. And most certainly from you and I, who are out here in the court of the Gentiles, if we're allowed to get that close in, all the way out to where that woman was trying to put her last two coins into the temple treasury. It's all coming down. I was thinking this week uh, that there's just something about a church building that draws me in and fascinates me on some unspoken level. I've been going to meetings in churches over several decades now, and I've never walked into a church building and not been drawn in and interested in the look and feel of the place and curious to look around. I get there a little bit early and especially when the church is, is empty and I can just sort of poke around and from the, some of the beautiful old Lutheran churches in Philadelphia, some with grand old historic sanctuaries with incredible uh, stained glass and soaring ceilings and massive wraparound balconies. In one church that I would meet in regularly in South Philly, those soaring ceilings in the main sanctuary were crumbling into the beautiful old wooden curved pews below. And the remnant of that congregation worships, at least they didn't, did back then. I'm not uh, really sure if the congregation is, is still open, but they worshiped in the, in the, down in the basement in a kind of corner of the old fellowship hall that they could still afford to, to heat. Two, Atonement Lutheran Church in Bloomington, where I pretty much grew up and went to youth group and was later ordained and where we gathered in June for my, my dad's funeral service. Um, my sister was married there. That, that worship center is filled with darkly stained wood and very little natural light filters in, kind of trapping the place in the 70s. Uh, but still, it's compelling and makes me feel a certain way to Union Prairie Lutheran down in Lanesboro, which is quite simply a postcard on a hill. If you're ever down that way, you know, riding the bike trails or visiting the Renaissance that is now Lanesboro with wineries and bed and breakfasts and so forth, uh, make your way over to Union Prairie Lutheran. Um, when you're in there, you, you feel like you're on the set of a little house on the prairie. You know, the, the pews are about six deep. <laughs> it's so much smaller than the way I remembered it in my youth. I think of all the churches I've served, either as an intern in, in uh, inner city Denver, Colorado, or as a pastor, in inner city Philadelphia or out in the rolling hills of Chester County or here. 
to the Stav churches that Lori and I visited in Norway, or the cathedrals of Europe, or St. Peter's Basilica at the Vatican, or Sistine Chapel, to simple mud-and-stick churches that I've been privileged to preach in throughout Tanzania. Um, to the simple makeshift double-wide trailer churches in the, in the rural south of our country. To this church. I'm not really commenting on the mission and the ministry of the church or the life of faith even here. I, I'm, all I'm saying is that these church buildings, and you probably maybe have memories or experience with one or another along your journey. These buildings interest me. They're always built with such intention compared to most other architecture. There's a reason for the shape of this room, for just everything about it. Um, and these church buildings, they draw me in. And they usually make me feel something. I know that is not true for everyone, at least that the feelings are positive or curious even. Some people feel whole other emotions when they think about entering a church building. These buildings, for them, represent systems that shut them out or excluded or judged or even shamed or just ignored them. So in today's Gospel reading, Jesus has his backwoods Galilean disciples at the great place of worship at the Holy Temple in Jerusalem where they are just marveling at how massive the temple is as they watch initially a widow come in and the outer border of the temple and place her two coins in the temple treasury there. She's given more than any others you have seen this day, Jesus tells them. The others have given out of their wealth. She has given out of her poverty. They're in the shadow of this temple and it's making them feel some sort of way. And then as the disciples walk out of the temple, they look back and, 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 and Jesus says, you know, you see all these great buildings, well, you see these massive stones, not one will be left upon another. To the disciples, this was unthinkable. Nothing could bring down the walls of this permanent structure. Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings, they said to Jesus. And inside that temple complex were 45 acres of bedrock mountain shaved flat. And during Jesus' day, a quarter of a million people could fit comfortably within the structure. The temple complex 
meant something. It was built with intention, and it, and it delineated groups of people. I mean, if you were not born into the Jewish family, this was not your heritage, then you were only allowed into the outer temple courts, the court of the Gentiles. And if you were a woman, you could go perhaps further in, but you stayed to this day with the remnants of the temple. It's divided up. The, the women can go to this, this area, but, but not that one. If you're a Jewish man, you can go further. And in the center of the temple, the Holy of Holies, the curtain separating the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go, and then only on the highest holy day of, of the year. The point is that the temple divided people, and it kept some people all the way outside, like that woman who was placing a couple of coins into the, tre- into the treasury. Jesus said, or, or Paul said in Hebrews, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, so we should get the impact of what he is getting at here. Since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, since we have a great high priest, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And, and, then, and then he uses a, a kind of a curious word, this Greek word paroxysm. It's general, generally translated as uh, uh, troubled or provoked or stirred up. You know, Hebrews is really an early Christian sermon. The whole thing, it was addressed to people who appeared to be struggling with their faith. They, and they had reason to fear, you know. And, and, and he starts off the passage by saying, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, since we have a great high priest, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. It's kind of a beautiful, powerful, testimonial language. And right smack in the middle of it, this kind of odd expression, let us provoke one another to love and good deeds. It's the word used in the Old Testament when God's patience begins to wear thin, when the Lord is provoked to anger. Be attentive to the Lord and obey him, says Moses in Exodus, and do not provoke him. It's the same word in the book of Proverbs when it advises uh, someone who's entered into a foolish contract to go to your neighbor and argue your case, provoke him until he relents, cancels the deal. Luke uses the same word to describe Paul when he walked into Athens and he sees uh, uh, people worshiping all kinds of idols and, and he was deeply distressed, we read in Acts, to see that the city was full of idols, deeply disturbed, Provoked, it's the same Greek word. And when Paul writes about love to the Corinthians in that favorite uh, wedding text, right? Love is not irritable, not easily provoked. Now, if we're going to be literal about the Greek word, it means to cut. To cut. This is what happens when, when people get moved to action. They get cut or cut to the heart. It's, it's a little bit of an odd word to use about the life of faith. Look, teacher. Look, what large stones and what large buildings. And Jesus says, not one stone 
will be left upon another. It's all coming down, Jesus said. The soaring ceilings will be crumbling into the beautiful old curved wooden pews. Jesus has removed every barrier between us and God. Even our sin, as you heard Pastor Natalia declare our absolution this morning, Jesus is letting everyone in. The old system has been torn down, just as Jesus said it would be, and you and I can boldly go, as we read in Hebrews, beyond where even the high priest could go on the holiest day of the year. We can go, in other words, right into the very presence of God. Therefore, my friends, Paul writes, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain. Did you hear that? That curtain is what separates the holy of holies from even the high priest. It certainly separates it from the Jewish men who could only get to the uh, court uh, further out. It absolutely separates it from uh, the women who could only get in this far. And most certainly from you and I who are out here in the court of the Gentiles, if we're allowed to get that close in, all the way out to where that woman was trying to put her last two coins into the temple treasury. It's all coming down, Jesus says. And you and I will be able to enter with confidence through the curtain, into the very center of God's presence. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And let us consider how to, you know, while we're in there, while we're here, huh? let us consider how to provoke one another to good deeds and not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. In the church, we are all of us children. And though things may look scary all around, with wars and rumors of wars, not to mention pandemics and inflation, racism, injustice, climate change, I mean, the list is nearly endless. Soon this big ship is turning now toward our next liturgical season. Soon we will gather to celebrate the way that our God has chosen to be revealed to us, has chosen to be among us. Not as a frightening, all-powerful, judgmental deity scaring us into obedience, judging us, condemning us, shaming us. No. Our God approaches as a babe in a manger, as a humble carpenter, as a suffering servant and Savior, wounded and resurrected, we are the church.
One of the first uh, fundraising uh, projects I ever worked on for a church in Africa was to put a wooden ceiling inside uh, the church, which had a tin roof uh, up on the uh, lower slopes of Kilimanjaro, a church that you know we try to visit whenever we're there. And reason for that was um, because up there in the on the mountain they get it's it's kind of tropical weather patterns and they get a lot of rain and if worship is going on for you know several hours uh three four even five hours uh, in a service and and nobody can hear because that rain is slamming down on the metal roof um that's a problem so we help to raise money and put that wooden ceiling in there i just there's something about churches um no matter how grand or simple uh that draws me in and uh, this is one of them and we're reminded today what the point is of all of these buildings uh, that we are stewards of this gospel uh, that this gospel is for everyone we've been singing about it all throughout the morning uh, there are no outsiders i'm not an outsider i hope that you can say both of those things this morning there are no outsiders i hope you can also personally say and no i'm not an outsider because we have a high priest we can enter the place of worship with confidence no matter who we are. That's good news. That's good enough for this snowy day. So go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.